This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Uh, we are kicking off a brand new series called How to Kill It. And uh, this is not hunting advice. I don't have any of that. I've never raised chickens, so I've never had to kill them either. Um, this is really about the, the blessings of God. It's about how God really tries to do some good things in our lives. But we, in many cases, unknowingly uh, self-sabotage the things that Jesus is so desperately trying to accomplish in our lives. We're going to lean into that. Before we get started today, I uh, just want to make you aware of the fact, you know, we, we uh, once a month we have a gathering for students. We call it Unite, and uh, we, we love, man, we love what's happening with our students. If you have a middle school or a high school student, I just encourage you, get them here. Um, that's the one thing that we as parents can do is we can notch out the essentials of defining that that's a place that they're going to have to be, not giving them the platform to choose whether or not they will or won't be there. I guarantee you they're going to have a good time. What God's doing in our students is really amazing. Um, I'm, I'm super proud of it, especially in the complicity of this season where there's so much that's going on, especially for our kids. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they worship. Uh, they get something that's specially designed for them. Uh, I want to encourage you. Get them here. It's not this Wednesday night. It's the next Wednesday night, February 10th at 7 p.m. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to get them plugged in, let them find life, community, hope, all that stuff that happens. It's good in those moments. All right. So as we get started today, I'm going to tell a joke. Okay. Those of you, if you know me, just brace yourself. Don't get offended by this, please. Okay. Don't get offended. Okay. The guy goes into a restaurant. He gets seated at a booth and he's there by himself, and he's listening, and the booth next to him seems like they're very chatty, right? There's a lot going on. He kind of, you know, wants to participate, feels a little alone, so he calls over to him and says, hey, guys, can I tell you a joke? And they go, yeah, well, I mean, sure. I mean, what kind of joke do you want to tell? It's a blonde joke. And the voice clearly comes back to him, are you sure you want to tell us a blonde joke? I'm six foot. I'm a personal trainer, and I'm blonde. And my friend who's sitting next to me, she's an MMA fighter. She's 6'2", and she's blonde. And then our other friend who has joined us today, she's 6'5". She's a world record holder, power lifter, and she's here with us today. She's blonde as well. Are you sure you want to tell us a blonde joke? And he replied, he said, you know what? I don't think I do. I don't want to have to explain it three times. You know, sometimes you ever you're around those friends, you got those friends, and you know, like, like, man, man, I just they just don't seem like they're getting it, you know? Like what you know, in the South we we say something that in other parts of the world they say it and they don't mean what we say. When we say it, it's actually an insult. When the rest of the world says it's actually encouragement, we say, Bless your heart. You ever notice that? It's like you're having a blonde moment, we just say, Bless your heart. It's a, if you're not from the South, that's an insult, okay? That's how it is. But can I tell you something that's really important? That truly God does want to bless your heart. And we serve a God who wants to bless you. He wants to. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes today, 
I'm going to head just let's kick it off. Let's kind of dive into this. We're going to go full throttle through this message today. God wants to give you good gifts. He wants to give you good gifts. We serve a God who wants to give you good gifts. How do we know this? The Bible tells us in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. It's as if James is saying, step outside at night, look up at the stars. The God who made all that you see and announced in Genesis 1 that it is good is the same God who created and crafted that good and perfect gift that has come into your life. God wants to give us good gifts. Number two, God wants to meet your needs. God wants to meet your needs. I firmly believe that God wants the kind of relationship with you where you can look back through your life and recognize I was there and I needed this and God showed up and provided it. I was there and I needed this and God showed up and provided it. I was there and I needed this and God showed up and provided it. And I know right now, whatever I need, I can trust that God is going to show up and provide it. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writing the church in Philippi from a prison cell says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to meet your needs. Number three, God wants to bless you spiritually. God wants to bless you spiritually. God wants you to experience a deep, rich, satisfying spiritual life. He wants your life to, to be encapsulated with, with all the spiritual blessings that Jesus has purchased for you. How do I know this? Because the same writer, the Apostle Paul, who's writing the church in Ephesus, opens his letter to the church in Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. But I want you to think, think critically with this with me. Well, what is a good gift? What, what do we really need? What is a spiritual blessing? What are good gifts? What do we really need? And what is a spiritual blessing? Let's kind of take a moment and examine those questions together. Start with that. What's a spiritual blessing? What's a spiritual blessing? I mean, we, we live simultaneously in multiple realities. You see this all the time. Because though we live in a material, physical world, we also experience life in a way that is immaterial. Right? If you've lost a parent before, right? you, you've lost someone that you love, how do you quantify the pain that you felt? You don't. It is something that exists outside of what I see and touch, hear. There's a, a physical reality. There's a spiritual reality. As the great Jordan Peterson put it, there is a reality that we experience that is defined by matter and there is 
a reality that we experience that is defined by what matters. And the Bible says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Why would God's heart be oriented to blessing us spiritually? Because obviously, we understand physical blessings, right? We know when God shows up and helps us pay a bill, when we're sick and God helps to heal us. Those things matter, but why spiritual? See, blessings have benefits, right? So when, when, when God shows up and helps me pay a bill or helps heal me, right, those are, those are benefits, and we experience those. But the reason that the, the heart of God is focused on the spiritual is because all physical blessings are going to pass away. The, the greatest one that we might even argue is life is only temporary. And so what God does is he gives birth to things in the spirit that become important in the physical world. All right, think about this. First John 1.16 says that for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. And that grace that God has so generously and so lavishly given us affords us a right relationship with him. It is what's rescuing us from our failure and our sin. And while that is eternal in its nature, it also has implications in our physical world. The greatest spiritual blessing we experience is a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a spiritual blessing. So what do we need? What do we need? I mean, it's tough, right? It's tough to differentiate between what we need and what we want. And if, if you've ever been confused about that, you probably have never been as confused as a room full of teenagers when you shut off the internet now. It's funny, right? I don't know what to do. Hey, we don't have self-service. I can't Snapchat my friends. What, what do we do now? They're just confused. They have no idea how to live life without the internet. You know, I was a student pastor for a number of years. And students always display our cultural confusion about what we need and what we want. When you take a kid on a mission trip, and they come face-to-face with poverty, real poverty, all of a sudden, they realize, oh, there's, there's eight people that live in this home, and it has dirt floors. And I, I've been arguing about, I want the bigger room. Maybe that's not that important. There's this kid right here that I met, and, and he's lucky to get one meal a day, and I've been complaining about the kind of snacks that we have at home. I think that we are often inadequate to understand the difference between our wants and needs. And some of you might be smart. Maybe you took psychology in college and you're going, no, I clearly understand the difference. You know, Abraham Maslow did this great like work is differentiating the hierarchy of our needs. And I, I, I understand that there are things that we, we desperately need. Everybody needs them. These are universal things. But I, I, there's a lot of things that would kind of be classified as wants. Jesus, 2,000 years ago in the Sermon on the Mount, predicted that we would argue it that way. 
I mean, Maslow argued that in our hierarchy of needs, we need security and food and shelter. And Jesus goes, oh, you think you need clothes? Well, look over here. Do you see the lilies of this field who never once thought about how they would be clothed? Solomon, in all of his splendor, was never clothed the way they are. Oh, you think you need food. You see this bird. This bird is never planned. It's never planted. And yet every day, the same God that loves you provides food for this bird. And then he said something that, if we're honest in this cultural moment, should hurt us a little bit. Because it exposes perhaps some things in our hearts that, that aren't really right. He goes on to say this right after that. He says, so seek first his kingdom, the Father's kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What do we need? What do we need? Jesus is making this argument. No, you think you need these things. And I, it's as if he's saying, I understand that these are foundational to your existence. You need them. But I want to make this clear. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first being right with God. And God will take care of everything else. Our greatest need will always be Jesus. He is essential. Isn't that a word we've been talking about a lot for the last year? Essential. Who's essential? What's essential? Jesus is essential. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to mess a little bit right here. The expression of his desire for humanity the local church is essential. In, in a world where we've, we've tried to argue about this is essential and this is essential and this is, let me just make this plain. Jesus makes it clear that your relationship to him is essential. And throughout the Bible, the Bible says a lot of the things that are happening in this moment with us together are components of an essential relationship with God, that we are living in biblical community with relationships around us that correct us and challenge us. We're gathering together to corporately worship. We're sitting under the proclamation of God's word. This matters. It matters not just to you, but it matters to your kids. It matters that your kids see, especially in this moment, that Jesus matters enough that you have notched out time in your schedule. Why? Because this is where we are tempted to go in this moment. It's Saturday night. It was a long day. Hey, you know what? Let's just do church online tomorrow. Okay, let's do that. At 10 o'clock, okay, we'll get up. 11 o'clock, you're getting up. Ah, oh, you know what? We'll tune in. We'll, we'll kind of do the replay later on today. We'll do the replay. It's later in the evening. You know, you haven't done it yet. You know, we'll, let's do it tomorrow. Let's plan to do it tomorrow night. 
And then it's Wednesday, and then it's Thursday, and then it's Friday. Hey, we'll catch it this week. We'll catch it this week. The, the truth is, is that most of us are not disciplined enough to keep our relationship with God in front of our lives. And we're not willing to go the places that this place will challenge us. Your relationship with Jesus is essential. He will always be our greatest need. So in that framework, try to deal with this question. What is a good gift? What is a good gift? Now, ladies, it's about Valentine's Day. Dudes, you got two weeks, okay? Two weeks from now, it's going to be Valentine's Day. And I don't know about you, we, we don't really do Valentine's Day big, but there are a lot of you who do, but it doesn't mean that there aren't moments throughout the year when I show up with some gifts. And here's the thing, ladies, if you've got a fellow who shows up with, you know, a dozen roses and some chocolates, I can guarantee you that he's not going to throw them down on the table, say, baby, I love you, leave me alone for the next few hours. It's not how it works. It's an invitation. When he gives you a good gift, it's an invitation for greater intimacy. He's inviting you in. When God gives you a good gift, it works the same way. Look at this. Every good gift comes from Jesus and leads us to Jesus. This is how we know if it's a good gift. It comes from Jesus. The origin of that gift is in the heart of God. It comes to me, and then as it works in my life, it leads me to Jesus. That's what a good gift is. It comes from Jesus, and it leads me to Jesus. Isn't that what a good gift is in your relationship? It comes from your husband, and it leads you back to your husband. It comes from your wife, and it leads you back. It kind of deepens and develops that relationship. That's a good gift, right? So I can say this without reservation. If it's leading you away from Jesus, it's not a good gift. If it's something as it works in your life that begins to marginalize and separate and dismiss all of those things, then it's not a good gift. Let me give you some examples of good gifts. Let me give you a few. The first one, the, the best example of this in Scripture, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, after, after he's you know, died and resurrected and he's with his followers, before he ascends to go back to be with the Father, he says, I, I, I want to stay, but I, I have to go. Because if I don't go, I cannot send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Part of me going is me sending. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the Bible tells us of the Holy Spirit that the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to lead us and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, pushes us, compels us, all of those things that are so important. Jesus defined truth this way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus, then in leading us into all truth leads us back to Jesus. That's a good gift. Here's another gift, our health. Our health. I, you know, all it takes is like a stomach bug to remind you how good of a gift your health is. 
You know how like you're like a couple hours into throwing everything up, and you just feel miserable, and you're like remembering, you know, a few days ago, you could actually eat something and not worry about what it was going to taste like when you threw it up. I mean, it's just amazing how that works, right? It's a gift. It's a gift. Our health is a gift. There are people who have worked just as hard as you have or haven't worked just as hard as you have to maintain your health who have experienced significant challenges. I think it's arrogant to assume this anything other than a gift. Our health is a gift. But what do we use it for? Right? What do we use it for? You realize that being able to stand and sing and lift up your hands and just physically be in this space, in this moment, it is a gift. Every day you wake up with the same amount of time that every person on this planet wakes up with. How are you going to use your health? Far too often we use it for the things we want. But if you pay attention, the scriptures encourage us to recognize that we have breath in our lungs to praise God. We have hands to raise to Him. We have mental awareness. We have speech and communicative skills where we can actually pray and worship and encounter God. It's a gift that comes from God, and its design is to lead us back to Him. Here's another one, the church. The church is a good gift. And please understand, I did not say it's a perfect gift. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There might be. You might think you've found one, but I guarantee you, when you show up, if you think it's the perfect church, when you walk in, it is no longer the perfect church because we are all imperfect. We all walk into church carrying our own brokenness, our own baggage, but it is a, it is a good gift. It is a good gift. It's a gift because it's in this place that we're challenged. We're encouraged. We're comforted. And why is that important? It, it's tempting, especially in this day and age when we've sunk so many resources, not just our church, but the church, into online content creation. It's so easy to say, but, but can't I be a believer and just simply kind of do this on my own. I mean, can't I just listen to the messages from this church and kind of find I have a few friends and I know they're Christians? Here's the honest truth about that. And you know this is true when, when I say this. I, I love to listen to messages, okay? I love it. I love preachers. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of guys that I've learned from, and I love to kind of connect with them, listen to what they're teaching through. So I'll do this when I'm like working out. I'll put on a message and listen to it while I'm working out. And here's what I do. Oh, oh, here. Yeah, I don't want to listen to that. That message sounds uncomfortable. That one sounds challenging. No, I like this one right here. I'm going to go with this topic. And in a way, we kind of curate our own spiritual existence online, avoiding all the things that are difficult or challenging or uncomfortable. And as we do that, we miss what this moment affords you. The church is an instrument that God has used and will use to propagate this message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It is a good gift. And as it comes from Jesus, it leads us back to Jesus. Here's another good gift. Money. Money is a good gift. 
It's sad that in many um, contexts, especially in Christian circles, we've been taught that money's evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is, in many ways, benign, and it will take on the temperament of the person that has it. Money is a phenomenal tool, and there are people who are very wealthy and do a lot of good, and there are people who are very wealthy and do a lot for themselves, and there are people who are very wealthy and do a lot of bad. Okay? It's not necessary, but what it is is it's a tool, it's a gift. And we know this because if you lose your job, I know exactly what you start doing when you lose your job. You start praying. We all do. Because we know that all of this comes from him. And so what's God's plan for money, right? The plan is that we be generous with it, that we return it to him. There's a percentage guideline. We call it tithing. 10% goes back to God because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so when we begin to adopt his role for money in our lives, the money comes from him, we return it, and it begins to direct our hearts back to God. It is a good gift. And here's another one, people, relationships, community. It's a good gift. And as a matter of fact, during this series, we're going to lean into that. We're going to lean into relationships. We're going to talk about the ways that we self-sabotage the relationships in our lives. Because when we're dealing with blessings, we can receive them or we can reject them. Let me just kind of build some foundational truth here. Number one, we have we've God who wants good things for us. This is why Jesus died for you. Jesus died and his death was the purchase price for the good things that God wants for you. We have a God who wants good things for us. Number two, we have a broken nature that pulls us away from God's best. There are things in your heart and rooted deeply into your mind that are programming you and pulling you away from God's best. It's a broken nature that we call sin. You were born with it, and the only way that we'll ever get over it is through the power of God at work in our lives. So we carry, number three, we carry the capacity to receive or reject God's blessings. This is how the whole story began. You go back to the garden. God gives Adam and Eve everything. Here's food. Here's what you need. Not only that, but I'm going to show up every day and we're going to spend time together. They had food. They had God. It was perfect. But they had one rule. And listen to me. They had one rule because even in perfection, there were boundaries. Right? Sometimes we think that, that the idea of, of perfection is absent of boundaries. That's not true. Even in the very beginning when it was all perfect, God gave them boundaries. Okay? It's a good thing if you're a parent, if you're a leader, you provide boundaries. Okay? That's a healthy thing. God did that. And what happened? One rule, they broke it. They rejected God's plan. They rejected God's plan. It's, it's important to note this, okay? God has a plan, but Satan has a plot. I mean, God, God wants good things for you. He desires good things for you, but, but you have an enemy who wants to take all of those things away, who's been plotting to do so since before you were born. 
John 10, 10 puts it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God's plan is that you have the fullest life possible, but you have an enemy who is plotting to steal and kill and destroy everything that God wants to bring to life in you. When God sent Moses from from the desert back to Egypt to deliver his people, God had a plan. And that plan was to deliver his people out of Egypt into the promised land. That was the plan. And so Moses shows up and through a series of plagues and prophecies, his people are delivered. They're walking. They're leaving after Pharaoh has released them. Pharaoh changes his mind. They turn around. They see the army of Egypt coming and the Red Sea is right in front of them. Some of y'all might have felt like you were in that moment. There's no way. There's no way forward. If God doesn't show up and God showed up, you know the story. The the sea parted. They walked through on dry ground. And as Pharaoh's army enters into the sea, the water crashes down. They are delivered. They are rescued. And I don't know about you, but I would be thinking, like, if this were me, like, I would never doubt God's goodness again. But in just a few moments, they start grumbling and complaining. As Moses ascends Mount Sinai to meet with God, they build a golden calf wanting to go back to their slavery, the security and the comfort that they they experienced, that they thought they had in Egypt. And what did God do? God said, you rejected me, and I want to take you to something good, but I'm going to have to remove all of y'all. And so they wander around. Until every last one of them passes away before they can enter into the blessing of God. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I want the good things that God wants for me. I want them. I want them in my life. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to be the person that God's going, no, I, I can't do that in you. You've rejected it too many times. It's only now going to maybe happen in your kid's life. No, I want, I want it for me. And I know that God has good plans for me. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has good plans for your life. Good plans. He wants good things for you. He loves you. He has good intentions, good purposes. God has good plans for your life. And here's the harsh truth. And you can crush them. You can crush them. I mean, right now, maybe in your life you might think, you know, I just feel like I'm crushing it right now. I'm just crushing it. I'm, 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 I'm like killing it in life right now. But, but listen to me. You might think you're crushing it, but you might actually be crushing the blessing. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at how we kill it. How we kill the blessings of God, how we self-sabotage the work of God in our lives. So next week, we're going to talk about this, how we control it. We try to control it. We try to kind of take things from God that should only belong to God. Week three, we're going to talk about how we complain about it, how we complain about it. Then we're going to talk in week four, we're going to talk about how we compare it. We compare what God's doing in my life, the blessings that I have. And then week five, and this is a big one, I don't miss any of these, how we cling to it. See, this is a very 
very important conversation for us. So pay attention to this. Lean into this, all right? If you kill God's blessings, it'll kill you. If you kill what God is trying to bring to life in your life, if you resist it, try to run from it, what's, what's happening is you're going to kill you. If you kill God's blessings, it'll kill you. And I know this for sure because I've seen this happen. See, when we resist God's leadership, it's sin. No, God, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I get that you're telling me to, but no. When we reject God's gifts for us. Okay, God, I get that you're telling me that that's good, but I don't see that as good. I get that, God, that you say that this is what your plan is, but God, I'm going to tell you that I'm uncomfortable with your plan. I want my plan. When we reject God's gift for us, it's sin. And when we run from God's best, it's sin. It's sin. And sin kills. It's sin. And sin kills. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. The wages of sin is death. Most of us are going to go to work in the morning. Some of us at the end of the week or at the end of the month, we're going to we're going to be going to our employer saying, hey, where, where's my paycheck? It's what I earned. It's why I showed up here every day. The, the Bible makes it so clear that when we sin, we earn death. And a lot of times we can cloak this as like, ah, oh, but that's this, that's this, and it's that. No, let me make it very clear. When you deny Jesus the right to lead your life, you sin. When you hijack your perceptions, your desires, your goals, it's sin. When you refuse to receive the good things, though they might be complicated and it might take some time to process them, that Jesus has in his heart for you, it's sin. It's sin. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stop there. It doesn't say that, okay, well, you're going to be happy tomorrow. You have this overwhelming feeling of like happiness. There's going to be rainbows and unicorns. It says, no, the gift is eternal life, which means that there's something in this gift that transcends what I see that is material and matter, and it transcends into the area of our life that does matter. Where 
when I die, it is not just the end of my story. It's just a comma in the story of what my life will be. But that promise is not to everyone. It's to those who identify Jesus Christ as their Lord. Not somebody that, hey, I'm kind of a fan of Jesus. Jesus is definitely a hero. He's a good guy. He's a great teacher. No, he's Lord. Which means for something to be your Lord, you have surrendered the control of your life over to him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise for you right now. That's the promise in this moment, right now, as we're here together. That's what God is offering you today. The security of knowing, of knowing that, that your eternity is wrapped up in Jesus, not in your, your performance, that, that right now you can have peace in the middle of a storm because your peace is anchored not in your circumstances, but in the heart of God for you. And you can release control and receive the good things that God has for you. Let's pray. God, we just come before you today because we love you. God, we want what you have for us. Jesus, when you died on the cross, you paid the penalty. You paid the purchase price for all the good things that will ever come into my life. Jesus, help me not to live in such a way that makes your death in vain over my life. I want to receive every good thing that you have for me. And the good things might at times be hard. It might be you going, you need to forgive that person. It might be you have to trust. It might be that I, I feel you saying that we have to put our, our perceptions and our ideas to the side and, and actually kind of get behind your ideas. And those aren't always comfortable or easy, but Jesus, we trust you. You are good. You are faithful. And you will take care of us. Help me to get out of my way so that I can live your best in this life that I live that is no longer mine. With every head bowed, nobody getting up right now in this moment. I believe that in this room right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of our hearts. Maybe right now God is highlighting something that's in your life that you need to say, God, I'm so sorry. I have let that take me away from your best. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's sin and you know what it is. And right now it's just a moment for you to confess it. Maybe your hope has been placed and misplaced into other things. And right now it's just a moment for you to confess that to God. God, forgive me for putting my hope in the wrong place. Maybe for you right now is the moment for you to recognize that you... 
You've looked at Jesus and said, you're a good guy, but you've, you've never made Jesus your Lord. You've never surrendered control of your life to him. And right now, you just feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you inside that this is that moment for you right now to lay your will down, to receive him as Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count one, two, three. If you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, when I get to three, I want you to raise your hand. It's an outward sign of something that is happening on the inside. This is your moment to respond to what God's saying to you. Don't let it pass by. Don't reject. Receive from God right now. Let's do that. I'm going to count to three, then it's your turn. Here we go. One. Two. Three. Raise your hand if that's you right now. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand. So God, for everyone right now in the room, those hearts that are responding to you, God, whatever you're doing, this is your moment. We just want to bow before your sovereignty and your goodness. Just confess that we trust you. Ask you to continue to move in our lives. Encourage us. Challenge us. Change us. And do it for your good, for your renown, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.